0: Welcome to the Whitefields Community Church Podcast. For more information about our church, including location and service times, visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. If you are blessed by this message, please consider sharing it with others and leaving a rating or review on your favorite podcast app. Today's message comes from our series, Grace and Truth, a study of the book First Corinthians. Here's Pastor Nick. First Corinthians. Chapter six verse verses one through eleven. Let's read it. When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before the righteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? But you yourselves wrong and defraud, even your own brothers, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Lord, we just thank you for your word this morning. Lord, we thank you that your word speaks to real life situations in our lives that we can deal with. We can take confidence in the wisdom of your Holy Spirit that you will speak and, and find resolution to those things that we deal with on an everyday basis and And Lord, we just pray during this time that your spirit would would soften our hearts to the word that you might have for us today, and that all that we do and say, Lord, would be to your glory. We want to live lives for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you've been coming to Whitefields for any period of time, you know that we place a large emphasis on, you know, teaching the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, if you were with us. We just finished uh, recently before Easter, we finished a series called Desiring the Kingdom where we looked at the books of First and Second Kings, verse by verse and chapter by chapter. You know, well, you can say, well, what can, what can I learn from the Old Testament? That's the Old Testament. Aren't we in the New Covenant? But, you know, many of you came to realize how rich those books were and how we came to know how we came to know so much more about who God is, his nature, his mercy, his love, his faithfulness, his grace, but also his judgment, right? His righteousness, his justice, and his holiness. There was so much each week for us to to think on that helped us to respond in worship and to grow in our walk with Jesus. And we saw Jesus all over those pages, if you remember and he would be, and he is the king of kings today, and he is the Lord of lords. As Luke one thirty three says that he will reign over Jacob's descendants, his kingdom will never end. But when you take that approach to scripture, it's kind of hard to just skip over all the weird parts, you know, the... The difficult parts, the parts that, yeah, hard to understand. Maybe those unpopular parts, the, those things that might even be diametrically opposed to the society that we actually live in. You know, as Paul told the Ephesian church in Acts 20, verse 27, he says, For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. And we really do believe That all scripture is breathed by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And that is what we are going to encounter again this week as we tackle 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Now, Paul wrote this letter in response to two things. As Pastor Nick pointed out last week, he wrote in response to questions about doctrine which the Corinthians had asked him in a previous letter. And he also wrote in response to a report that he had received about the Corinthian church from a woman named Chloe. And you can read that in verse, chapter one, verse 10. So obviously Chloe had outlined specific things that were not right in the church. And so here in the first six chapters, Paul begins this letter by addressing this disturbing report that he received about the Corinthian church. Now, You've been with us so far, you know that Paul has not been taking it easy on the Corinthians. His tone so far has really been as a father as with their children, now, asking a lot of rhetorical questions. and don't we ask a lot of rhetorical questions as parents many times? I'm sure if you're a parent here, you've, you've, ha- you've said these things like, "Don't you know not to leave your clothes on the ground?" Like you're not asking for an answer. It's, it's embedded in the question. <laughs> don't you know not to switch off the lights or didn't I ask you to unpack the dishwasher? You know, I don't need a response, you know. Didn't I ask you to mow the lawn or whatever it might be? We ask a lot of rhetorical questions. And just like our children, Paul has given scripture principles and he's given instruction. And they had acknowledged those principles and instruction, but had not applied the principles or followed through with instructions. Hence the, the questions that imply that they already know the answers, And he's not going to let up on them again this week. A few more rhetorical questions are to follow, and you probably picked up on them as we read through the scripture. Now, let me just tell you, as a worship pastor, it's very difficult to pick songs for these kinds of studies, you know? There's not a lot of songs about church discipline out there. There was that one that came to my mind by Ray Charles, and it goes, hit the road, Jack, you know, don't come (laughs) back no more, no more. I just thought that probably wasn't appropriate for for Sunday morning, but... uh, You know Patsy Cline. Many of you have heard of Patsy Cline. She had a song called A Church, A Courtroom, and then Goodbye, and I thought, well, that might go with uh, the study this morning. Who knows, you know? But there was a country singer in 1964 named Kitty Wells, and she had a song called Will Your Lawyer Talk to God? You know, probably not appropriate for this morning either. Needless to say, not a huge selection of songs talking about Christians, suing Christians and taking each other to court this morning. But what is always good... And that is to sing about the gospel, you know, remembering where we came from and singing about Jesus and glorying in our Redeemer. And I think, you know, he is the author and the finisher of our faith. And we have done that well this morning. So no matter what circumstance we are dealing with, it's good to know that we serve a God that knows us and yet he still loves us. And he is working his will out in in our lives for his glory. And that's a great promise this morning. There's but there are difficult situations, and we can admit that. There are things that we deal with every day that are hard and issues that we need to, to settle. And Paul is going to address one of those things here in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Now we live in a society where, you know, the phrase, that is my right, it's it's almost become a God-given mantra, you know. Paul's going to plead with us that in Jesus, that in Christ, yes, we have those rights, but we also have a higher calling in Jesus. And the gospel is to lay down those rights. Sometimes those rights are actually opposed to the gospel and, and opposed to loving our neighbor. In Christ, we have the right to remain silent. So if you're taking notes this morning, that is the title of our sermon today. You have the right to remain silent. We're, we're going to look at four points this morning, and they're, they're all going to be questions. We're going to Keep that theme of rhetorical questions. The first point, what are you doing? Second point, where is your wisdom? Thirdly, why not suffer wrong? And fourth, who are you? So we begin with our first point there in verse one. What are you doing? When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to the law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Does he dare go to law? Before the unrighteous, or as you've got a uh, New King James Version, it says, dare any of you, dare any of you, having a matter against another. What are you doing, Paul asks them. What are you doing? Paul's strong wording seems to kind of reveal this exasperation for their actions. It's as if, you know, if he was sending a text today, he'd be like writing in all caps, you know, like with a lot of exclamation points, like, what are you doing? You know, let's, but let's dive into the context of the Corinthian church. And in doing so, we're going to maybe get a kind of a clearer picture of why Paul can't believe and understand why the Corinthian church were taking each other to public court. Now, if we take a historical look at the first century society there in in Rome, where uh, we will see that they really enjoyed a good court case as much as our American society does today, you know, kind of the reality TV of Rome at that time. And, uh, you know, I came across this quote when I was looking into the history of, of Corinth and it read, civil litigation for the elite was simply seen as an extension of factions and discord in political life. It went on to say, It was quite acceptable to institute civil proceedings before a magistrate and jury on trivial matters in order to establish one's social and political superiority over others. It doesn't seem like much has changed in the last 2,000 years. What did Solomon say? Nothing new under the sun. You know, instead, we've probably become a lot, become a lot more efficient in, in our evil towards one another. You know, technology and the... Information age has given us a greater platform and a greater reach for that depravity that is in our hearts, you know, just revealing to us even more how much we need a Savior Jesus to save us from ourselves. And so, but we know also that the Jews, they did not ordinarily bring. Their issues before a public court. that just wasn't something that they would do. and if they ever had a problem, they would bring it to the local synagogue, the Jewish synagogue or to the, to the elders. and there were many synagogues that have popped up you know outside of Jerusalem, and especially in that region, and Paul had been thrown out of many of them. and so the, the synagogue would become a kind of a court, and the deciding process could be carried on right within the framework of the Jewish family, and they would never would take their problems. Into the pagan world, they were trying to show the world their unity, they were trying to settle their own problems. they also felt that god 's word right the, the revelation of God, the law of God, the Old Testament, had all the answers to the problems of their life. It had answers to all the family problems, all the problems in, in, in social on the social level and the cultural and the economic level and, and why then would they need to take anything into the pagan courts and in fact Jewish teachers said that to take our problems to to pagan court is the same as blaspheming God. For it is in effect saying God doesn't have an answer to this problem when in fact in their own law, the answer was there. And so they considered it blasphemy against the divine law of God to ever wind up in a courtroom outside the fellowship of the Jewish people now, the Roman Greek worlds, they, would, they actually accepted these decisions that were, would have you know, were taken there in the Jewish families. You know, we can see that in the case of Jesus. The Roman government was going to let the Jews do whatever they wanted with, with Jesus, except of course, capital punishment which then, of course, had to be designed, decided by the Roman courts. And we know how that ended, right? Jesus was tried and, and sentenced to, to be crucified in a public Roman court sent there by the Jews to be executed. We also know that from, uh, that Roman courts could have, would have accepted the decisions of, of this, this new religion called Christianity because they just considered it a form of Judaism. Like, well, you guys... You know, as the Jews do, you guys take care of your own issues. And so it seemed that the Roman government at this time was very tolerant in this matter. So in light of this, we can begin to see what Paul was like, appalled at the behavior of the Corinthian Christians. Now, for their part, the society that most of the Corinthian Christians grew up in, they, it's, they celebrated litigation. You know, they, they viewed the courts as a form of entertainment. The law process was, was just an everyday part of life. You know, a, a historian once said that everyone in the city of Athens was a lawyer. And, of course, Athens was just 50 miles north of, uh, northeast there of Corinth, If your case was not settled in in a a private with private arbitrators, it would then head to the public realm where public arbitrators were assigned then to your case. And now what is interesting about this is that everyone who was 60 years old for the duration of their 60th birthday until they turned 61, they would serve their community as a public arbitrator. So anybody in that society, in that society there, in in the Roman world who was 60 years old, would serve the community as a public arbitrator. Now, if your case was not settled during this public arbitration process, it was then brought before a public jury. Now, for small cases, the jury was made up of at least 201 people. That's small cases, all right? All right. And, uh, but for larger cases, uh, court, there are records that show that the jury could number anywhere from a thousand to six thousand people. You know, it's like, well, the jury's gonna go out. I mean, how do you get six thousand people to make any kind of decision? You know, talk about mob justice. And, you know, so, but anyone over the age of 30 could serve on this jury. And so people would gather, you know, there's a big case happening in your town, in the city of Corinth there, and people would gather at the gates and someone would go out there and pick anywhere from 201 to 6,000 people over the age of 30 to sit on that jury. So you can see quickly that even if you weren't on the jury, you were definitely talking about the case and you can quickly see how this would be the dinner table topic every single night, you know. Did you see what happened or hear what happened at court today about so-and-so and and about so-and-so? You know, historians say that the Greeks were famous or infamous for always taking things to court. It would seem that these tendencies had crept into the Corinthian church. And Paul says, what, what are you doing? What are you doing, my brothers and sisters? Why would you bring your disputes into this kind of contentious, scandalous, and unrighteous environment, not only bringing shame on yourself, but on the name of God? It was so appalling to him because he was a Christian and he couldn't conceive of brothers suing brothers. This was not what Christian community was about, a community of love and forgiveness and Paul would need to actually show them in, in chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, he would have to explain to them what biblical love really is. Instead, they were stealing from one another, not forgiving each other, and not only getting, trying to get what was owed them, but they were trying to get more than what they were owed. What are you doing, Paul asked? And then he throws another rhetorical question at them in verse 2. Or do you not know? That the saints will judge the world, and if the world is to be judged, you are incompetent, incompetent to try trivial cases? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? Now, it's important here to define our terms. You know, there in verse one, when Paul refers to the unrighteous, he's not making a judgment on, on whether or not the court is actually qualified to make a fair decision or where, whether or not there's actually good people in the court system, you know? That's not what Paul is trying to say here. But, but as we've seen, at least in Paul's day, getting a fair decision was not necessarily even the point of going to court, but instead the salacious nature, you know, of the whole process is a form of entertainment. What Paul is saying is that these people, they're not believers. They don't have the mind of Christ. They don't have the wisdom of God or the, or the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Why would you bring your case into this arena? Then here in verse 2, when Paul refers to the saints who will judge, who who are the saints that Paul is talking about? Is it the upper echelon of of Christian hierarchical structure or the the special ones, the ones with the special wisdom and knowledge that always speak in whispers? No, he's referring to us, you, you and I, those in the room and those that are online who have believed on the name of Jesus, and and in doing so, we have been filled with is the holy spirit those are the saints that paul is talking about I remember back in 1 corinthians when he first greeted the church in 1 corinthians chapter 1 verse 2 he greeted them in verse 2 he said to the the church of god that is in corinth to those sanctified in christ called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. And then he goes on there in verse five, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge even as the testimony about Jesus was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. You and I, the saints of God, will judge the world someday. We're gonna be on the Supreme Court in heaven, seated with Jesus in the heavenlies. That's an amazing thing to think about. I don't know if you've ever wrapped, tried to wrap your mind around that or you've given it any thought before. But the Bible talks about the fact, you know, that, that we will one day judge the earth, that the saints, you and I, will one day judge the earth. What, what, what that all looks like, I'm, I'm not sure about all the details. I don't know. But we, we do get glimpses of it in the scripture you know, Jesus speaking to the saints in Laodicea in Revelation uh, chapter 3, verse 21, he says, The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Or, or to the saints in Thyatira, Revelation 2, verse 26, the one who conquers and keeps my works until the end. To him, I will give authority over the nation's. Jesus tells his disciples in Matthew 19 and in Luke chapter 22 that they will sit on 12 thrones and and judge the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, Paul very well could have been thinking of Daniel chapter 7 when he wrote these words. The whole whole chapter of, of chapter 7 is fascinating in regard to this. But let me just share a couple of verses with you. Daniel 7 verse 21. As I looked, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was given for the saints of the Most High. And the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. And Daniel 7, verse 27, he goes on, And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole earth shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom and all dominions shall serve and obey Him. Paul says, what are you doing? What are you doing? This is your destiny, and you're taking trivial matters before a pagan court when you will one day reign in God's supreme court and judge the world. And then he takes it one step further there in verse 3. He says, do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more than matters pertaining to this life? You know, in Jude, verse 6, we read, and the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority but left their proper dwelling, he had kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Are we gonna be there when these angels receive their final judgment? Well, it could be possible. Paul seems to point to that. I'm I'm sure there's definitely one angel who is not happy about the fact that we will one day rule and judge and have authority over angels. And maybe that's one of the things that fuels Satan's hate and desire, you know, to wreak havoc in our lives and to... Bring destruction on the church that Jesus died for. In Christ, we, we are above the angels. In Christ, we will judge the world. How, how much more than matters pertaining to this life? Now, Paul, you can see here, he's, he's pointing, he's building a, 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 a case of perspective here. You know, what, what is your destiny this morning? Does your destiny lie in this life or the eternal life to come? Well, you're so heavenly-minded, you're no earthly good. You've heard that one before, right? No. To be heavenly-minded is to be earthly good. It is to view all that we do and say through the lens of heaven. It it gives us a purpose and drive for living this life, living an effective life for the gospel that no one else has, no no other system of belief, whether that's religious or, or even secular. Paul says it would certainly affect how we should treat one another here on earth. You know, in light of eternity, is that issue that you have against your brother or sister in the Lord, is it it really worth that much to you that you would bring them down and the name of the Lord in the presence of the ungodly and not seek to find a solution in the midst of the congregation? You know, how big is your God this morning? You know, he saved us from eternal damnation. He has pulled us from that miry clay. He set our feet upon the rock, but he can't take care of that issue between you and a fellow Christian in a spirit of reconciliation. And if there is no resolution and you truly are wronged, is our God big enough to take care of that as well? Paul is telling the Corinthians, and he is telling us today, our God is able. Our God is able. You might say, well, this issue I have against my brother or sister, it's not trivial to me. It's not trivial to me. And Paul would would counter and say, in light of eternity, all is trivial, trivial, only those things built on the foundation of Christ, will remain. Now, before we move on, I think it's important to look at what Paul is not saying. What Paul is not saying. I know for some of you, the wheels in your brains have been spinning and you've been asking yourself, what about this scenario? And what about that scenario? And what about this exception and that circumstance? Well, let me just say that that Paul, under the authority of the Holy Spirit, you know, this is the word of God to us today. He is being a lot more radical than you think he is, he is being a lot more radical than you really think he is. But on the other hand, he's not negating the role of the legal system in our lives. And the fact that we are called to submit to that system and the governing authorities is laid out in Romans chapter 13. And Paul makes it perfectly clear. And you, you know, I, I encourage you to go and read that chapter. Paul is not referring to criminal issues here. If there are issues where the law has been broken, there are, there's been sexual abuse, there's been rape, there's been inappropriate contact with minors, there's been physical abuse. If there are restraining orders that need to be taken out, these need to be taken care of in the context of, of criminal court. For example, you know, there have been cases in in churches where there was inappropriate behavior between a youth leader and and someone in the youth group and the elders, they tried to, you know, deal with that in-house and bring reconciliation and, you know, it was not reported and anything. And later there were accusations of, of rape and it all went public and the elders ended up getting indicted and charged in court as well. You know, we don't try and handle these things on our own. We involve the authorities because laws have been broken. We're not going to protect rapists, and we're not going to protect thieves or child molesters or or abusers within the church walls. That's not what we do. We will will allow the God-ordained criminal justice system to do its thing. Paul is not talking about criminal issues here. He's talking about civil matters. Like, sure, you can think of others, but someone borrowed your car and brought it back, you know, with a huge dent in the bumper, and they're kind of resisting, you know, your request that, hey, you know, do you mind paying for that? They're like, ah, I don't know. <laughs> you know, it just kind of bumped itself, you know? They should, you know? They should. They damage it, right? What do you do? You know, you've, maybe you offered someone a, a place to stay at your house. You guys agreed, you know, on a rental price. And it's been a few months. They have yet to pay. And it doesn't look like they are going to pay. And, you know, what's, what, what's your recourse? What do you do in those situations? Or, you know, maybe someone agreed to do something for you. You know, contracts were signed. They didn't follow through, and now you want to sue them for breach of contract, you know? Let your yes be yes and your no be no, right? That's biblical. You know, why didn't they just do that? Like, what do you do? What do you do? And, you know, I'm not talking about unbelievers here. We're talking about fellow Christians, brothers and sisters in the Lord, Lord, in our church community. And sadly, in the church today, this goes on way too much than you maybe even realize. These things happen. You know, and the irony is it's the reason why a lot of us are at church. You know, (laughs) what the church is, we we needed to be saved from our past. You know, we were those liars and we were those cheats. We were those con artists. Some of those tendencies, they sometimes die hard in us, you know. I know of a situation where someone lost their entire business through a, a shady deal, you know, that was brought to them by a fellow Christian. And what do you do in those kind of situations? You've lost a lot of money. You might lose your home. Do you take your brother to court? Well, Paul would say, no, no. Can you do these matters, bring these matters and settle these matters within the community of the church? And he goes on in verses four and five, he says, so if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there's no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between you and the brothers? This brings us to our second point. Where is your wisdom? Where is your wisdom, Paul asks. If you remember back in chapters 3 and 4 of 1 Corinthians, Paul has called out their boasting in wisdom, you know, and challenged that source of that boasting. You know, the Corinthians really thought they were wise. They were wise, even wiser than Paul. Yet all that wisdom had done was create division and bitterness and strife within the church. They weren't even wise enough to know that A man should not be sleeping with his father's wife. Even the pagans knew that. We looked at that last week. You know, so Paul here with a kind of tinge of sarcasm, I think, asking once again, and rhetorically, of course, you know, you're so wise. You're so wise. There's not even one wise person among you who can settle these disputes. You've been telling me how wise you are and how you you grasp the things of God. But there's none smart enough, not even one among you, to settle a dispute between brothers in Christ. Instead, you, have, you take it to the world. You take it to the unrighteous because they have the answers. He goes on in verse 6, but brother goes to law against brother and that before unbelievers. Um, Paul says, this is shameful. You should be settling this as brothers and sisters and not as adversaries. Now, Paul is starting to kind of peel back the motives for why they were doing these shameful things. Now, I've not come out and said it yet, but it's kind of been hanging out there in the air in front of us. But from a biblical perspective, according to the word of God, if you believe the words of this book this morning, Christians taking Christians to court is wrong. Some might even go as far as to say that it is sin. But I think it's clear so far that the principle that Paul is laying out for us this morning is that Christians under no circumstances except for the ones that we've already talked about, should be taking each other to court. It goes against the very nature of the church that has been established in Jesus. I would say that if the act of Christians suing Christians itself is not sin per se, it certainly leads to sin. It certainly leads to sin. Now, how many of you, know, you're watching court TV or you're watching Judge Judy or whatever it might be. You know, I'm not sure what's out there. These Wapner, um, you know. How many of you, you know, the, the court case is finished and you see the defendant walk over and hug the plaintiff, you know. Thank you for trashing my life and my name, for digging up all the past of my past failures to prove your case, overturning every stone and looking at every tweet I ever tweeted. You know, this experience, it has done wonders to draw us together in love and Christian fellowship. Of course, no one at church will talk to me anymore. All your friends hate me and all my friends hate you. I'll see you at community group on Wednesday. Should I bring a dish to to share? Yeah, that's not happening, right? It's not happening. You know, where is your wisdom? Can't we settle these matters as brothers and sisters in Christ and not as adversaries? But sadly, as you know, we as a society, even within our church, we're fixated on our rights, as we talked about earlier. It's my right. I just want what is owed to me. I've been wronged, it's the principle of the matter. You know, I'm sure you've heard that one before. It's the principle of the matter. They shouldn't have done that. It's the principle. Nothing is to be gained. Nothing is to be gained by suing your brother or your sister. Yes, you might gain your possessions. You know, you might gain your money. You might gain your stature. You might gain that sense of vindication. Well, I, I got them, you know. I proved them wrong. I got what was coming to me. But what about the destruction that will not only... Touch the one you beat up in court, but the community of Christians that you are supposedly a part of. Not to mention the dirt that will be thrown on the name of Jesus and the church, his bride in the process. Are we supposed to be different? That's what Paul's asking. Church, aren't we supposed to be different? But it is my right. Yes, that is what Satan told Eve in Genesis 3. You have the right to know what God knows. You know, he's keeping something good from you. And uh, yeah, we can see how that worked out for her and for us. You know, we have the right to remain silent. He goes on in verse 7. To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. And you can see Paul's ramping it up here. He's not letting us go. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded. The fact that issues could not be resolved when a brother has a dispute against another Christian is a sign of defeat for the Christian community. Paul has not minced words here. First, he said it is shameful for these things to be happening. And then he points out that this is a loss for them, a loss for the Christian community, a failure to understand what the church is and what it means to love one another. Why not suffer wrong? That's our third point this morning. Why not suffer wrong? One pastor put it this way, for a Christian with the love of Christ in his heart, he would rather suffer insult, injury, loss, damage, rather than inflict it on somebody else, especially a brother. Vengeance for a Christian is absolutely absurd. It is absolutely absurd. A Christian does not order his acts by recompense, by a desire for revenge. A Christian orders his acts by love and forgiveness, doesn't he? Christian will seek peace at any cost. Why not suffer wrong? Why not be defrauded? Paul asks. But it is my right, it is what I'm owed, it is the principle of the matter. This was the attitude of the Corinthian Christians. And the question is is it our attitude to in, 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 in our day and age today and in the church? Sometimes I think we just need to pray like David prayed in the Psalms. It's a good prayer to pray, you know. Every Monday morning, you head into work, you know. Psalm 139, verse 23 Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me, and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. But let me take this, you know, maybe a step further that might resonate with some of you. You're like, I'm not taking anybody to court. I've never taken anybody to court. This doesn't make any sense to me. But. But many times, and I've seen this many times, and I'm sure you have seen this, maybe been, even experienced, you know, when we have a dispute with someone, instead of going to them in the spirit of Matthew 18, you know, and how that Matthew 18 encourages us to, to seek rec- reconciliation, a spirit of forgiveness and humility, we take it into the court of public opinion, right? We're trying to build a case for ourselves, you know. We've been wrong. we've been offended, and I've seen these situations; they don't work out either. They don't work out either. Just bitterness, unforgiveness, division, and not only between the original offended parties, but all the others that were pulled into the conflict, who, who felt they had to take a side. And I, you know, I'm sure you've seen that, or maybe, you, unfortunately, you've been a part of it. You know, you know the the outcome, the fruit of that. Why, why not suffer wrong? Paul asked. But it's important, again, to point out what Paul is not saying. Paul is not saying that we avoid confrontation. You're like, well, I'm just, not going, I'm just not going to deal with it, right? Is that what Paul is saying? No. Paul is not saying we avoid confrontation, avoid having those difficult discussions. I know I, know all of, you know, I don't like confrontation. I'm sure many of you don't like. You don't like to have those difficult conversations. But sometimes you have to within the love and humility. As a church leadership, you know, we... You know, not seeking to find a solution and a resolution between brothers and sisters in our community. You know, that doesn't that's not what Paul is saying, that we just kind of sweep things under the rug. That's that's not what Paul is saying. The Bible has given us clear guidelines laid out in Matthew 18, and I encourage you to study that maybe this week. For working out our clear guidelines for working out our disagreements within the body of Christ. And we are wise to use them. Use them in the spirit of humility, love, always seeking restoration above division. But the key question is, and I think this is the core question for you and I to consider this morning. It's a difficult question. It is. Because it's not the practice of of the modern church today, unfortunately. If you follow all the guidelines, let's say you follow all the guidelines laid out in Matthew 18 and there's still not a resolution to your dispute with your brother and sister, are you able just to leave it and not take it out into the public court arena? Are you willing to suffer wrong for the sake of the gospel and for the higher calling that you have in Christ? Are you willing to trust God that he will work out this, that he will work this out for his glory according to his will in your life? You know, I think this really taps into how we really view God and his ability to intervene in our daily lives. How great is your God? It is these real life situations where we really see our faith at work. This is the underlying message, not only of this chapter that we looked at today, but the whole book of 1 Corinthians and the whole Bible. You know, As Christians, we have a higher calling, a high view. We have a high view of our brothers and sisters in Christ. We have a love that bears all bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. It is patient. It is kind. It does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant. It's not rude. It does not insist on its own way. 1 Peter 4.8. It's a great verse in your Bible to underline, circle, whatever you need to do with it. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sin. The world has a way. And the world has a way of dealing with things they do, but they don't know any better. They really don't know any better. We can't expect anything better, but we we do. We do know better. We have the word of God. We have the wisdom of God through the power of the spirit this morning, the power of God living in, in and through us. We have the promise that if we pray for wisdom that he will give us, Why not suffer wrong, Paul asks. And he goes on in verse 8. He says, but you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. It would seem that the Corinthian Christians were using the court system not only to get what was owed to them, but more than that, almost like punitive damages. Like, yeah, you really offended me. You really hurt me. I'm not only going to get the money you owe. I'm going to get even more out of you. You know, they were defrauding and cheating their own community. It was shameful. It was wrong. It did not reflect the heart of God for his church and to make sure they got the point and we get the point this morning. Paul adds his behavior to a list of people who will not inherit the kingdom of God. Just in case you didn't know how Paul how serious he was this morning with us. Read you know we get, we read on there in verse 9. Uh, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. I'm sure there were a few in the church that said, well, yeah, I've, I've sued a few brothers in my life, but that's not that bad. I don't feel bad about that. And Paul wants to show them this kind of behavior reveals a state of mind and a corruption in our hearts that is contrary to God. We have... We're no better than the people on this list. You know, it's a sobering thought to think that we might share company with, with this list. And back to Psalm 139 again, search me, O Lord, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Now, before you kind of sink into deep depression, <laughs> Paul returns our focus to the promise of the gospel in verse 11, amen, which is our fourth and final point. Who are you? Who are you? Such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And such were some of you. Past tense, such were some of you. I love this verse. It reminds me of who I am in Christ. I am a new creation. The old has passed away. And I don't need to bow to that base nature, the way I lived when I was dead in my sin, that person who is looking out for, number one, trying to find my way in the world outside the power of Christ. But I have been washed and sanctified and filled with his spirit, justified by the righteousness of Jesus. I'm not chained to those tendencies in that list anymore that used to rule my life. The law of love governs my, governs my life. I seek to have the mind of Christ, right? Doing nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in, but in humility, counting others more significant than myself. I now have a God that fights for me. He is on my side. He will bring justice. He, he sets me free. I don't have to be weighed down by the cares of this world, you know, fighting for what is mine, my rights. I can lay that All at his feet and trust in his sovereignty over my life. You know, in light of what we talked about today, Paul has these words for us out of Romans 12, starting in verse 14. He says, Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, live in harmony with one another, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight, repay no one evil for evil. with good. I can't do that outside of Jesus. I can't do that. But yet not I, but through Christ in me, as we sang this morning. Yet not I, but Christ, but through Christ in me. Who are you this morning? Have you been washed? Have you been sanctified? Have you been justified? Do you need to get right with God? Submit your life to him. You know, we can't live this life not the way that Paul has pointed out outside of his power. It is the the gospel that gives us life and the ability to live this life for eternity and for his glory. You know, Jesus remained silent when he was wrongfully accused, wrongfully accused by his own people, for those who, those had benefited from his miracles that had sat at his feet while he taught them. Jesus remained silent. He he had the power of heaven. He called down legions of angels to wipe everybody out, but he didn't. But for you and for me and for our sin, he died to death and paid the price that we should have. He remained silent so that we could have life. Amen. You have been listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com. Make sure to tap the subscribe button if you would like to have new messages delivered to your device every week when they are released. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to support our ministry, you can do so by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or by giving a donation to our church on our website at whitefieldschurch.com.